Namaskar everyone. A very warm good evening to one and all present over here. We welcome you to Soulful Schools, a masterclass on alternative education in collaboration with Helios Edipore. Friends, today is the 18th session out of the 30 days program. This being the second edition of masterclass series, it has been taking us on a short journey of transformation. And we are thrilled to introduce every day to a new alternative holistic and democratic learning space selected from all over across the country where innovative topics, informative content and progressive ideas are being shared. We remain hopeful that this one, the ones which have been in the past and the forthcoming ones will inspire all of us to bring about these possible changes to take our school community to a new direction of development. Friends, I once again welcome you all with a namaskar believing every each one of you and your family is safe and healthy. I, Asha Mishra, am the moderator for the evening today. A little brief about me that for the last 36 years I have been in Jaipur and uh, been as an education uh, in the field of education for last 30 years. The parent school with which I have worked for 28 years has been Subodh Public School. And uh, I feel and I believe I'm still a learner in spite of the fact of all these years of experience. And yet there is more and a lot to be learning each and every day. My subject has been English and more so I have had a passion towards training, training teachers right since 1995 and that is what after my superannuation which was very recent I'm still continuing with the same with CBSC as a resource person and a freelance trainer. Friends, the topic for today is transforming education so that it can be transformative. We'll have to go into the depth of the topic, friends. Lessons from COVID crisis and beyond. And friends, today we have with us a very dynamic visionary woman and a philanthropist, Dr. Urvashi Sahni who has put in all her dedicated efforts towards the woman fraternity. She has a master's and a PhD in education from the Graduate School of Education in University of California, Berkeley. She has presented academic papers at many national and international forums and universities including Columbia, New York University, Chicago, Berkeley, and has given keynote addresses at international drama and education conferences 
in Edinburgh, Jamaica, Plymouth, Toronto, Northern Ireland, and New York, has published extensively on critical pedagogy, theater and education, feminist pedagogy, child cultures, girls' education and empowerment. Her current research focuses on developing and scaling her girls' empowerment program in India with the help of curricular reform, teacher training, and affordable technology. Friends, Dr. Sani is a non-resident fellow at the Center for Universal Education Brookings Institution. She has been recognized by the Obama Foundation Global Girls Alliance and the Clinton Foundation as a change maker. In 2017, she was declared the Social Entrepreneur of the Year India by the Shop Jubilant Bhartiya Foundation and joined the International Fellowship of Social Entrepreneurs. She has founded Suraksha, a women's rights organization in 1983 in Uttar Pradesh, India. She is the founding president and CEO of the Study Hall Educational Foundation, Chef. Friends, the list is very long. If I continue talking about Dr. Sani, I'm sure we'll not be able to listen to the rich knowledge that she's going to impart to all of us today. So I welcome you, Dr. Urvashi Sani, on behalf of Soulful Schools and on my personal behalf. A very warm welcome to you. I wouldn't like to miss a session, ma'am. Over to you. Ma'am, you need to unmute yourself. Please unmute. Can you hear me now? Yes, okay. yes. So, thank you very much, Asha Ji, for that rousing introduction. And the trouble with rousing introductions is then you have to live up to them. And also, thank you, all of you, the future schools and your soulful schools uh, organization for inviting me here today. And I'm very honored. Uh, I have 30 minutes, so let me not waste our time. Uh, I want to, uh, you know, it's a very interesting topic. Indian the COVID crisis is on, schools have been locked down, we're going to open them, we are not going to open them, there's a seesaw and it's been six months now. Aside from all the fear and uncertainty about the COVID crisis, education is in serious crisis. I have a presentation that I am going to put up just now, I will be sharing my screen. So please bear with me for just a few seconds and I will turn it on. Oh, okay. Now. Can you see it, everybody? It's Sorry. visible now. All right. Thank you very much. So I've uh, titled my talk that education is a radical space of possibility. And why I say that is that, as I mentioned, there are two things majorly in the newspapers in the last few months. One was uh, actually two or three things. First, of course, was COVID, the migrant crisis, then education. Every newspaper, you will find something about education every day because it's majorly in crisis these days. I'm 
and you know while it's been in crisis i know before we shut down i had a meeting with my entire staff and we are 400 strong uh, from all our units and program which i will discuss shortly uh, and i told them i said dekho now we are in the crisis has arrived but now you have two choices either you can sit and fret about it and be scared about it of course we are all frightened but you know you can just keep on worrying about it or you can take this use this as an opportunity to learn because remember it's a historic opportunity to learn and if you will try to learn you will be fine and guess what they took it to heart and they really worked very hard at learning and i must say that during the 6 months or kuch hua ho na ho the creativity quotient i like to call it that of parents teachers students everything has spiked really gone up okay and that is one lesson that i hope we will keep um i let me tell you a little about my foundation and our work because i believe that we have been actually dealing with children in crisis and so we have found many answers along the way which i want to share and during this crisis they really came very handy and so i am now the you know the new the national education policy has been announced and so i am from lucknow up and here our chief minister is quickly wanting to put in place a plan of action and i am on the steering committee so just today we had a meeting and we were talking about how to implement some of these and why i felt that i was very comfortable because we have already implemented so many of these so what happened during this crisis was that we were vindicated in many of the things we did and we learned many new lessons which i will share and which we hope to continue so the vision of chef is that it we want a world in which everyone is educated to become a democratic citizen caring caring people thinking actors we also believe that the aim of education is not just to know but to live and that is not my quote this comes from a dramatist his name is boleslav and then we also believe that the goal of all teaching and learning is to enable students to find answers to the central question who am i and what is my relationship with the universe and others in it and i'm sure you will agree with me that in the last 6 months we have all been asking ourselves this question this is our foundation uh, i will uh, we reach out we started with six children in my garage actually in 1986 and now we are teach, reaching out to tens of thousands of children many directly and many indirectly and i will briefly go through all our uh, my programs uh, the basic thing that i want everyone to remember is that all our schools and our programs have one foundational core we really believe that education must have a strong foundation in social justice and in democratic values and that if we don't teach our children to think equally to think liberally to think fraternally we can never be a thriving democracy just today at this meeting you know uh, one of our the gentleman there from the government he was saying oh we should do a lot of by putting artificial intelligence nanotechnology all the latest scientific innovation which we put into our curriculum i said sir just one moment i think the most important innovation and addition to the curriculum must be democratic citizenship education gender education caste education secularism why are these missing sex education why are all these things never on our radar they are very important things that the society needs and unless we educate our children we will miss a very very 
powerful possibility that as educators education provides us which is why i mean it when i say that education is a very strong personal and social transformative force but provided we transform education we look very carefully at what we teach how we teach you know and what is the school cultures that we create so i'm going to tell you that our outreach is now over 1.1 million we are partnering with about 1100 schools and we reach out to 93609 children currently oh uh, let me quickly run through it we started with study hall which is a which is where the name comes from which is a private school for middle class children and our whole thrust there innovation there is that it's a child responsive school which builds a child responsive pedagogy looking at what children need to learn looking at their lives and it is really it's a very very caring school most importantly that even with our middle class children even though poverty doesn't affect them even though girls are in a better place in middle class homes though not entirely and even though you know the caste con consciousness is not as great in urban area even then we teach them these values we teach them that your privilege and power you're very privileged and you're very lucky god bless you but it is unearned and what will you do with the privilege either you can build on it or you can use it to help others and that's the kind of children we hope we are raising integrated in that is a school for is a program for children with special needs most importantly you saw that little video we i want to just put these horrible statistics up in front of you to point out that india's daughters are unwanted unsafe unequal unfit they are unsafe in the womb and they are unwanted so they are unsafe in the womb they are unsafe at home high rates of domestic violence high rates of female feticide and they of course they are very unsafe on the streets very very high rates of rape and child marriage is a huge scourge in our country which despite the law still continues so what did we do as a response i set up a women's organization 1983 but more importantly i thought education was a very strong pathway i set up prerna girls school and i learned very quickly that you know just giving them an academic education not good enough they must learn that they are equal persons girls and many other dalits and many other you know subordinate people they don't think of themselves as equal and that's half the problem they don't they believe ki this is the way your life is it is natural it is god given and so we have to live like it moment you teach them that they are equal persons they deserve respect and they have the right to live a life of their own choosing then they start equipping themselves they start protesting and they start and i know my own life i was married off at 17 with no education and now i am the only phd in my family and that's because i learned this very important lesson that i am an equal person and i have the right to do what i want with my life so in prerna girls school we built a critical feminist pedagogy where we get them to talk about their lives there are 1000 girls now and we teach them that we build feminist consciousness understand that what is happening to you is wrong it is not natural it is humanly constructed it can be deconstructed and learn to protest against discrimination learn to reach for help and learn that you have the right to live a life of your own choice and i'm telling you our retention rates are very high we have managed to beat child marriage in our communities and offer us for our girls now masters is the new normal but many of our girls have become entrepreneurs they have gone abroad and you know the we also educate have a prerna boys school where we educate boys also that it is that they must also learn to think equally 
that patriarchy is not their fault, but it gives them unfair advantage. And they must also learn that it is very cruel to their sisters, their mothers, all the women they love. And they give them a toxic sense of masculinity that you're not a real man or a mother unless you're domineering, you're powerful, you're violent. And of course, housework is not your department at all. But I can't do it. We teach them to think differently. And I'm very proud of our boys. They really have learned to think very, very differently. We are also building a curriculum to annihilate caste. It's a huge, 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 shameful part of our society, which we must get rid of. So we have a law against untouchability. We all know it exists. Open your newspaper every day. You see. So we are building one so that we learn, teach all our children, whether they are in villages, whether they are in cities, whether they are rich or poor, to think equally. We have, this is our rural school, where we teach children how to transform their villages, making them less parochial, more global, more egalitarian. And then we've now got a study hall college where children come from 30 villages. In our rural school, they come from 55 villages and they are all learning to think equally and to think like democratic citizens. So critical dialogues are part of our, all our schools. We also work with government schools. We have tutoring centers in very poor communities rural and urban, where, as you can see, I'll just quickly show you pictures of all the communities. We have local teachers who we train, we equip, they go into the communities. These are children who can't come to school, so we reach out to them, right? And we have a digital study hall program where we put all our good practices on videos and we've given them free of cost on a YouTube channel, DSH Online. We have 107,000 subscribers and over 17 million views. And during this time, by the way, we call governments. We also have our uh, videos on the Diksha platform, which must be it's a government program. And so uh, people from India, from neighboring countries are all watching them and learning how to teach better. And they're all based on, they're all classroom based videos. Then we reach out to a thousand government schools, the KGBVs, where we teach the teachers how to use critical pedagogy so that their girls must also learn how to protest and build a feminist consciousness. And we have found there too. Whereas in 2012, when we started the program, 53% of the girls said that they were vulnerable to child marriage. In 2018, there were no child marriages upon completing class. And we run a very large India's Daughters campaign where students, teachers, parents, all together, and boys and girls, they campaign and demand gender justice. They do signature campaigns, plays, and also marches in the community. So now to the COVID response. First of all, I want you to know that out of all the thousands and thousands of children we are reaching out to, most of them are children in crisis. Poor children, especially girls and Dalits, they're always in crisis. Their lives are forever in crisis. This only added to it. The biggest problem when schools closed down and everyone said, now education must go online. The problem was India's digital divide, right? As you can see, only 23.8% of Indian households had access to internet. And that too, men have it. Women have half of this. And rural India has even less. That they also have half. So what line was there for them to go on to? Even in our own organization, with the best will, only 58% could be connected. Now that number has gone up. And we were all having to become very innovative. And some only had phones. They didn't have internet also. So what did we do then? As I mentioned, the... Uh, our uh, quotient went really high, our uh, creative quotient. Uh, so what did we do? First thing was to connect with all our students. And in order to connect with them, we had to marshal all our resources. 
यहाँ फोन था यूज फोन अदरवाइज गेट चिल्ड्रन टू कनेक्ट विद अदर चिल्ड्रन गेट आस ऑल देर नंबर्स एंड द फर्स्ट थिंग वी हैव टू डू वो गिव दम ह्यूमैनिटेरियन रिस्पॉन्स राइट उटेड so we used all the means we had to teach small videos teachers got busy they used very small videos then they did one on one phone calls where there was no internet and taught them by phone they took pictures of the textbook and sent it and said now you ask read it if you can't understand then you call me up i will explain short voice messages text messages and they made themselves available at all hours then because of the digital divide we decided that we must something to overcome that too. we set up this digital sathi program and what did that mean we set up a smartphone library and we also distributed laptops and so our chef was the hub the big the central node of excellence and our prerna school our vidyasthali school and our gyansetu center what we did was we got an army of digital sathi young women and we told them here is a smartphone you teach your sisters get five or six children from your neighborhood sit in a social distance manner and the school will send you lessons the teacher will send you lessons you teach them show it to them so that they have no access to internet and then give their assignments back and i can't tell you how well it has worked that we decided they were going to keep this up forever so i'll just show you some pictures and just look at we've been able to reach out to nearly 1000 children through this urban and rural okay there are how hires how it is functioning at home okay so what were the lessons we learned from all of this you know i have been we have been documenting all our lessons very carefully because as i mentioned to you that we really believe that this is a great opportunity to learn and we don't want to lose this opportunity and there is going to be a paradigm shift first of all you know poor, poor children are always in crisis so many of our innovations came very handy our digital study hall library which we started in 2005 we were able to really our whole outreach went up fourfold during this time because people needed it thank god we had it then we know now that all the cruel divides have come to the fore so we know that our focus on equality was a very important one and we want to keep that you saw the migrant crisis you saw all the horrible pictures of the poor people and how badly they have been hurt so we knew we also know that digital divide is another very cruel divide and it must be eliminated i'm so glad our prime minister said that uh, he is going to make sure that uh, every the remotest village has internet or more power to him i hope it happens because we need that we also learned that you know education can be freed from the bounds of time and space what do i mean by time when the children got their videos so many of them are working they said oh you know we can we can watch them at our own time in the evening when we have time also we feel as though the teacher is speaking to me directly and i can use it to rewatch them when i don't understand so they could learn at their own time time became flexible then now everybody was at home so children we learned that now no longer by the way our schools going to be the only places where education happens 
We were already doing that. There will be distributed learning spaces. We have our Gyan Setu Center. But when we enabled them with technology, we found that they became stronger. And our outreach now is going to go again four times with this because what do you need? A laptop, a good internet connection. And these young people, unemployed youth, women, they will run it in their own homes and take children who are out of school, especially girls, who are denied the opportunity to go to school or to college, and they will teach them there. What we found, and that's been a huge win, is that parents have become very involved. In many cases, when the lessons used to come, parents also watch. And so we think it's a great opportunity for adult literacy. Apart from that, they have suddenly learned to value teachers. Teachers have learned to empathize more because now they've got access looking into their home, literally looking into them. And so parent-teacher partnership has become very strong and that must continue. Then teachers became learners and researchers. Yes, yes. So they became these great researchers and they started accessing many teaching learning resources and they've become to enjoy the whole uh, whole idea of learning, becoming learners once again. They are becoming lifelong learners, that must be kept. Students have become self-learners. Okay, And now what is happening because of internet and suddenly everything's gone digital, there are many, many resources that teachers, students, parents are accessing. As I mentioned, the creativity quotient has gone very high. We should keep all of this going. Then what happened was teachers have started documenting their lessons and keeping them. For so many years, I've been talking to our teachers, hey, use technology, leverage it, ye karo, wo karo. You know, ha, ha, kar lenge, lazy. Suddenly, no choice, their technology spike has gone up and they've come up with great innovations on how to use technology. Technology was always there. They've learned how to use it. Okay. So now everyone is digitizing lessons and we are archiving them. Short videos, very, very useful. We've also learned that in our digital study or program, we have 30 minute videos. We said, no, they should be five or seven minutes. Core idea. And your national education policy is also saying that. They've reduced the curriculum to core essential so that they can include critical thinking discussions, etc. Then learning has moved out of outdated curricula. Suddenly the curriculum became less important. And lessons of life became more important. That we should keep. And as I mentioned, that we have to work harder at removing cruel and inequities. Thankfully, they become very visible. Now we cannot sweep them under the carpet. There's no going back. And also, we have to make education a community responsibility and a community effort. So as we did right now, you know, young unemployed youth, parents, alumni, everybody came into action. We should keep that up create an education ecosystem and make schools the hubs where they reach out into the community. And we must make education truly holistic and inclusive, ensure that no child is left behind. And technology offers many, many opportunities to do that. And I'm hoping now that once people have learned the joys of technology, there will be no going back. Then. So suddenly all the 21st century skills, we still thought, you know, 21st century is far away. Are we are 20 years into it. They become very important. Empathy, resilience, collaboration, entrepreneurial, critical thinking. They become very important and we must make sure that they are squarely into our curriculum, which we do at Chef, because these are survival skills for the future. So just to wrap up, you know, once again, I think education, the aim of education is not just to know, but to live. 
That is why it is so important. That is why people give it so much importance. I'm very glad the national education policy has come. It's come at a good time. And it's a good document, though I think it needs more focus on rural India. And there are gaps, but that's all right. We are there. We will all help. But I'm hoping that we all understand. And that has been my goal as part of the consultation and also as part of now the steering committee is to make sure that our education becomes transformative and it is transformed. It must have strong roots in social justice. We must teach lessons of equality and make them as important as lessons of math, science, history, geography. And I'm telling you it's an uphill battle. I have battled for two hours today in the committee trying to get this whole idea across. To people, bar bar, they would talk about math and science, they would talk about nano science, they would talk about artificial intelligence. I said, sir, do you see the condition of our society? Should we not be doing something about poverty, about gender, about caste, about secularism? How are we planning to be a progressive nation if we can't think progressively? That is what we should be focusing on. And I hope that this crisis has made us appreciate how a large part of our country has been in crisis for years. That is their normal state of being. And so we can learn these lessons, take them to heart and take them forward. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much, Madam. Thank you so much. If I, I have hope I stay within my time, ma'am. Yes, definitely, ma'am. Definitely. If okay. I have to just sum up what you have said, ma'am. Uh, in of course, each and everything was very relevant. But if I have to pick up the crux or the summum of it. I would say, number one, opportunity to learn for everyone. Number two, about the creativity quotient, that which has increased. Number three, education can be free from bounds of time and space. Something very important, ma'am. Expansion of teaching, learning resources in this phase, definitely it has been. And then the lesson of life, the last but not the least, what I feel, the lesson of life has become more important than curriculum. If we as the education fraternity, if we all keep this in mind, I'm sure we could really bring out better learners from the society. Ma'am, there are certain questions and I'll be reading out uh, one question at a time and waiting for your response. The first question goes, ma'am, what will be the paradigm shift in education post-COVID? Okay. You know, I think uh, the major paradigm shift, which I'm hearing in many conversations, one, the very big word is the T word. Everyone is talking about technology. Technology enabled schools, technology enabled pedagogy, technology enabled technology, technology, technology. Okay. I think it is very important. It has held us to ransom these last uh, six months. If not for that, where would we be? But I want to once again caution. You know, when the Prime Minister said, uh, stay at home, my first thought was, where are, what about the people who don't have homes? And the large part of our population doesn't have homes. Then they said, education, go online. I said, yeah, what about the people who don't have lines? Right? So we must reduce, or we can only make use technology and leverage it. It's a huge lever. If we take care of the digital divide, and this paradigm shift will only happen if we do that. 
The other paradigm shift that I'm seeing, and I'm hoping is going to happen is a move away from content-based curricula to thinking, research, self-learning, and activity-based curricula and pedagogy. It's there in your national education policy and in all the discussions I'm having with other educators, with policymakers, it's very clear that we need to do this. But the challenge here is to train teachers to think like that. Okay. The third thing, paradigm shift that will happen is that uh, everyone will now start digitizing their teaching learning resources. It's the digital age and it has come to us with the banks. And that is not going away. So everyone has become more tech savvy, including people who only have phones, you know, the very poorer population. They've also understood that. So it is a huge opportunity for us to leverage technology so that we can leapfrog many of the educational problems that beset this country. And here I'm talking about the 75% of our population and more that is poor, that you know is living in villages 66 percent of our population is village and girls people who live very much without lines without homes we need to be thinking of them and i'm hoping that we are able to bridge the digital divide use all our innovative strength we have given an example there are many and i hope the government is going to focus very hard we need more resources thank you ma'am the second question goes what are some suggestive ideas to enlighten the parents who think girls' education is not as important as boys? I'm okay. working on it. That's a good one. Yes, we have. And I'll be great success, I might tell you. You know, one of the things that we found is that nothing succeeds like success. We had to actually go house to house to collect our first 30 children. Girls. You know, mothers were hiding them and all. But uh, there were seven daughters, they sent, she sent three. Then we found out there are three more. So we went back. She said, don't tell my husband, he'll be very angry with me. All the boys were going to school. Huh? She had 11 children. Out of these seven were girls. Now, they came. Now, what we found is, now we have a thousand girls and counting. And we don't have to go recruiting. And now fathers are bringing them on their motorbikes and their cycles huh? to school. From 17 kilometers. What happens is, you need to have... One, there should be a lot of community awareness, which we do with the India's Daughters campaign. Every month we call parent meetings. First, only mothers came. Now fathers also come. And this time during the crisis, because fathers have the phones, so when we used to call, the father would pick up. We used to say, sir, aap kaise ho? I hope you have a job, hai ke nahi. we would talk to them. So you build a good relationship and say, there are phone de and in one day, please give it for half an hour in the morning. Half an hour in the gladly you would give. So you have to form a respectful relationship with the community and you have to continuously work to change their mindset. And then when they see our girls as role models, now many of them, they become the breadwinners of the family. One of them just recently bought a plot for Colax, by the way, and with a small job of 15,000, 20,000, which we helped her find. She got a master's and she got this job. And so now she's a role model for other girls. They say, this works. You must send girls to school. Then what we do for child marriage is we intervene. Jabho, teachers should intervene. So teachers should learn to become counselors. They should learn to become advocates for girls' rights. And they should learn how to build a community awareness 
which teaches parents that girls are of equal value as boys and teaches them how also to raise their boys to think similarly and shows them the advantages of doing that okay uh ma'am the third question what type of foundation during a pandemic crisis in education is needed so you have spoken a lot about it but i still once again okay see i think during a pandemic crisis as i mentioned what has actually kept everything going and i know that from our foundation and we deal with all the representative populations of the country is one a sense of being connected we all held each other very strongly during this time communication continuous communication and thirdly you know a sense of learning together teaching each other reaching out for each other and thinking of creative ways for example many of the teachers said ab kuch tha nahi so i was using my kitchen and finding you know materials over there to teach you know i was terrified about making videos but i learned how to make videos now then so the creativity the connectedness the communication the ability to learn the resilience that is what has kept everyone going during this crisis and also a sense of empathy and caring you know people really i think have with the migrant crisis how many people came up so the sense of caring also has gone up caring quotient empathy quotient creativity quotient all gone up now we should hope they stay those are all very good things we should hang on to them my worry is that unusual circumstances bring about unusual consequences now we would like to keep these these are i know once the unusual circumstance goes or dear god very soon i hope but uh, then you want to keep all the wins i call them these are the wins these are these are all the good things that have come out we should keep them so all organizations should document these learnings we are doing that look at it as a re- i tell all my teachers and everyone i said you know actually you should be very excited and i want to tell everyone on this call we are in a historic moment it is never going to happen again i hope right so we should learn everything we can and we should document it so that we can use it later and future generations can learn from lovely ma'am to have all the answers and uh, the presenter for the evening today we have uh, dr preeti shriman uh, and the question that's for dr preeti it is what lessons has the covid crisis taught us that we can use to reimagine education in india so dr preeti welcome to you and over to you a very good evening to all the participants uh, and uh, my heartfelt appreciation uh, dr sahani uh, your uh, talk and your presentation was really really motivational and has inspired that yes there is so much that we can do not just uh, during the covid times but i think at all times so definitely we can take a leaf out of your life and hopefully try and imbibe it in whichever little way that we can uh i would like to begin with a quote which uh, we uh, have been uh, sharing with our uh, uh, students uh, i'll just give a little brief introduction about myself uh, i am heading a school in vadodara uh, it's a co educational school i did my uh, doctorate uh, 
in uh, education um, on a paper which was released by UNESCO, the uh, Hidden Treasures of uh, Learning, which uh, advocates that learning is basically based upon four pillars learning to do, learning to be, learning to know, and learning to live together. And I think uh, when we talk about our present times, the hard times that we are living in, these four pillars gain a lot of uh, value and they really hold uh, us, uh, uh, give us a lot of meaning that yes, this is probably what education should basically be all about. And I think that's what the NEP is also uh, drafting and has uh, wants us to implement in, um, in the years to come. So uh, definitely these are times which are times of growth, opportunity and possibility as Dr. Sani has mentioned. And each one of us is experiencing a challenging phase as a society and also as a school. But uh, these are times where um, the schools have taken up the challenges, gone that extra mile and have tried to create a very purposeful environment by starting online education, virtual learning and uh, making sure that learning is uninterrupted. So in, during these times of crisis, uh, Dr. Sani, I feel that some of the lessons which we as a society and as a country or as a, uh, as a global uh, ecosystem have learned is um, that uh, the importance of health and wellness. And uh, we have to now start building upon our, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the health quotient. We have to take care of ourselves and not just uh, for ourselves, but also have to impart it to the students. The second most important uh, lesson would be that definitely money is not everything. It's also our mental well-being, uh, which uh, is at times more important and take paramount uh, uh, paramount upon our material abundance. Uh, then the third learning, uh, according to me, is that study and work from home can be an option. And a lot of us have realized, especially the school community, that yes, learning can happen from home. We can really give an optimum uh, amount of uh, experiences to our students. The parents have also adapted to it really well. And uh, the only thing which needs to be ma uh, managed here is a balance between our job and the family. And another very important lesson is the power of internet, the humongous source of information available there, how we are able to connect how we are able to influence, uh, use this power to influence and intervene every aspect of our life. And of course, work at a global level, collaborating at a global level. Uh, another ma yes, ma like to yeah. yes, yes, ma'am. Um, I would like to ask Rishi ma'am to speak something on the health quotient part. Absolutely, yeah. ma'am. I, yes, was, uh, yes. I was in fact wanting to comment on that. Hello, uh, thank you so much for uh, you know the compliments you paid, etc. And thank you for your comments. Here's my comment on health. You know, it's all very well, and even the wellness and well-being and work from home, etc., etc. All this is very uh, well said when we have comfortable homes to live in, when we have the means to take care of our health and hygiene. I'm thinking of all the, uh, the majority of our country, by the way. So when we speak, I think it's very important to speak about the majority, is that they don't have healthy homes. There is one home in, I know one of our students, 25 children in one home, three rooms, okay? There are 25 people, sorry, all together. All right. The condition, then I, we work in slums where there is, you know, stagnant water, no sanitation. What health? What health over there? What well-being? That is one. So we need to fix poverty. Money is not important for those of us who have yes. the money. 
it is very important for those of us who don't and we should all be working at removing the cruel poverty that exists in our country that is very very important okay that's very important and then thirdly uh, the third question uh, third thing that you said about online learning that you know that learning working from home i think that is a double edged sword for many women it has been a great win to be able to move out of their homes homes became very oppressive they became prisons for many women right and so they have really benefited from going out they have been empowered by going out and we don't want to take and there you know domestic violence has gone up during this time so once again i think it's very contextual that for middle class families where everyone is well up and there too by the way many of our teachers are itching to come back to work because yes. they are yes. doubling up men must learn and i hope they have learned this lesson that it is their home too they should be working jhadu uthao bartan manjo kapde dho khana pakao yaar khate bhi ho gande bhi karte ho to pakao na bam jhadu hai bandook nahi hai patila hai bam nahi hai isko use karo that is one and secondly i think we are forgetting that education and schools and educational institutions our workplaces these are also social places which humanize us for our girls by the way that is the one place of refuge for them for many women it is one place of refuge our teachers are actually asking to kabhi open this up they said you can we can come to school and do your online classes from there children want come you can come you have the whole room to yourself they all came 50% of them came why because thank god away for a little while okay and many women i know as a woman and many of our women here will agree that it is again very contextual so yes health is very important but we must create the conditions for the majority of our people that they can be healthy it is very sad the conditions they are in secondly work from home what homes what about people who don't have homes think of all your helpers think of all the people yes. who have to do physical labor how can they That's work from home Thirdly, yes. when we think of the internet, yes, it has great possibility. That is why it must reach everywhere. It must go to the villages. Twenty-three point eight percent of your population has access. What is happening to the rest? How can it be possible? How can it open possibilities when seventy percent of your population doesn't have? It? So when they have it, then we we'll talk about possibilities. And I think it is very important as we teach all our students in studying also that you know for all of us who are privileged. we should of course thank our lucky stars but we must also remember that it is pure luck nothing but that we have not earned the privilege and we have it now it is a very important question to ask ourselves that are we going to just build more to our privileges or are we going to share it and my worry i'll tell you with a lot of ideas of excellent education they are always measured just by results and yes. the result then good college then good job and yes. that for many so many people what about the rest of them what about thinking of a success in terms of that i am producing this good democratic human being who learns to think equally who learns to follow gandhi ji's dictum that whenever you are thinking of what to do think of the poorest person in your society and say is my action going to benefit her right we want to think like that May I put a question to uh, Dr. Preeti? Yes, we are talking about ma'am. As uh, you may continue also, but one thing which you could highlight upon when we were talking about transformation, that what about the condition 
till now when we were talking about marks and the criteria of assessment okay that was the big criteria where uh, the success of the child was considered do we still looking into the scenario that has been now do, do you think that we are still going to continue with the same thing sir ma'am uh, i think uh, we we've always been a marks driven society i mean the kind of status which uh, which these students who rank well at the various competitive exams have uh, are considered the elite class always so i think uh, uh, the new uh, the in reimagining education post covid we will have to move and shift gears from a marks driven to a competence competency driven society to a skill based society and uh, what kind of uh, values do we have and what kind of values are we imbibing the value of gratitude the value of kindness the value of living together as a community how much of community awareness do i have i mean i can live in my own silo i can live in isolation but how much of empathy am i able to drive when i move out into the workplace because just having the sheer uh, aptitude will not make us survive in today's uh, employability scale we all know that so we will definitely have to incorporate a lot of uh, these uh, skill based these uh, these kind of uh, modules in our curriculum wherein we will have to make sure that children are taught empathy children are taught to have some kind of uh, exposure to uh, things like appreciation they will have to move ahead and uh, create kind of kindness projects they we do it in our schools where they will have to create their own uh, covid journals where why and what have they learned asani ma'am very clearly said the lessons that the children have learned there there's a difference between what we tell them and what is resonated well with them so that is something which has to be reimagined in the new curricular uh, in the new syllabi ma'am another question which i would really want you to discuss here is now uh, it's been almost 6 months and schools uh, have have lost uh, the kind of uh, the vibrancy which they had because now the the students are all working from home the students are teachers are teaching online so we will definitely have to move into blended spaces and in these blended spaces uh, i just want to know how are we going to preserve the social space of a classroom because classrooms are definitely um a collective living environment and a, and a learning experience for the child so how can we keep alive the the kind of vibrancy of a classroom once we reopen our school post covid because that's that is definitely a challenge which all of us as educators will have to yes. uh, mitigate and match up to immediately after the pandemic so i think uh, the sort of uh, device like device plans and mechanisms again the second aspect would be how will we enable children to uh, cope with the post traumatic stress many of them may have also been victims of uh, covid there may be teachers there there is that sense of anxiety there is that stress or sense of fear and a lot of other mental health problems so uh, imagining school post covid and how can we rekindle relationships and recondition children to routines so a little so, insight from you ma'am certainly thank you preeti you know i think that during this time also in fact uh, i feel somewhere the connection actually has become even stronger the teachers we have maintained we also have an assembly every morning by the way at 8 o'clock assembly every and they are supposed to come in uniforms with their videos on and the teachers will address them we've had many panel discussions 
many right. group discussions throughout this time to keep the social connection alive. I think post-COVID, and in fact, in UP, they were saying that 21st classes 9 to 12 can open for partially. We were planning that, but now we decided on October we'll push it because cases are <clears throat> What they decided was in terms of blended learning, again, once again, I want to caution that we have to think of places where right now the devices are not available and learning is suffering. So before we jump to the idea that everything will be uh, blended, not going to happen, by the way. Once, as I said, unusual circumstances, unusual consequences. When the when it begins to open, they will it will be gradual. There will be maybe ten students, and they will be sitting separately. And even with our prayer in our school, we started calling them. They sit outside, and we work with them. See the social. You know, there's this whole thing that human beings are rational animals. Human beings are emotional animals, they are social animals, most importantly. What are we all missing, even the ones of us who have comfortable hope? We are missing our families, we are missing being with them, we are missing our loved ones. Oh, my uncle is so sick, he's in Pune, I can't go. I can't tell you how terrible I think about it. So my point is that the social element will never go. And when we, my granddaughter is in New York, and so her, there the school is opening. Oh, she's beside herself with joy beside herself with joy. And what they have said is they will call them for three days, two days the first week, three days the next week and then full time. We must remember that when we talk about blended learning, uh, you know, India is a different case. And again, India, there are many Indias and right now we are talking only about the privileged schools. Let's talk about that. Childcare is a very important part of school going. In foreign countries, half the reason they want to open schools quickly is that their labor force cannot go out to work unless their children go to school. Here also, children must socialize. And so when we are talking about blended, it doesn't mean children will not come to school. This, slowly it will open. We hope the vaccine will come. And then children will all come back to school. It doesn't mean now lesson. Blended learning means part of our assignments. For example, I spoke to my teacher. I said, what do you want to do after this? You know, when it opens, what part of it do you want to do? They said, administrative work meetings we can have online after school hours. Good idea. Why keep them back for that? Second, they said, homework assignments we will keep on giving online. We will make them do one project at least online. Collaboration becomes much easier. But they will also continue to teach in the classroom and the blended means that we will use technology <coughs> to teach parts of our curriculum online, which doesn't mean they, they will all start coming six days a week, by the way, or five days a week. All that will happen and we want that to happen. I want that. Especially, again, I'm telling you, children from very poorer homes, they cannot learn online. Their learning has gone down because how much can you teach on WhatsApp and phone messages? You can't, right? So they don't have computers. So for, we need to come back to school and then you find a way of leveraging technology to make our learning more effective. It cannot ever be a substitute. The instructional core will have to remain strong and the teachers in fact have become more important. And parents can. And now the other thing is parents we said, we said you're all experts. Why don't you teach once on Zoom? You sit at home and you teach. Parent-teacher meeting, around 95% attendance, otherwise never more than 65%, because of they can do it. Okay? 
Then secondly, we have been able to find it very inclusive. I told you we have a school in the village. We have a school for very poor children. We have a college. We have the Kyansetu Center, and we have Prerna. All very different social background, also geographically distributed. On our Zoom, we've been able to get all of them to come because we have given them connectivity. But the point is how inclusive it has suddenly become. And so we said the discussions will all be in Hindi and English both. Whatever you're comfortable with, you say we all understand Hindi over here. And so everyone has learned about each other. So when we say blended learning, when we say leverage technology, it does not mean substitute. It means Add, supplement, leverage, you know, and use where it's most effective. And the interesting thing is, all these technologies have always been there. We have learned to use them differently. And necessity is the mother of invention. So we have all become very inventive. And that is the other thing to keep. Even when the necessity goes, we should not lose that sense of urgency. And that sense of thinking afresh. Actually, that's such a good thing to have, you know. We say, huh? And Kitna monotony is gone from many teachers who said they are bored. I said, see, creativity kitna badhya. So that is why blended, so the technology will come. And let me tell you, all this work from home also, I'll tell you this. Remember when the VCRs came, people said all the cinemas will shut down. Or sometimes their business went down or shut away. Everyone likes to go out. Okay, so uh, Netflix bhi aagaya, toh bhi people are missing movie halls. See, what will happen is, it will be a spiral. The change will be a spiral. We'll take, keep a lot of the old, some part of the new, we'll become a different version of ourselves. Everything will become 2.0, 1.0, 2.0. But it will not be a linear progression. It will be a spiral one like this. And then what I feel is it is not merely the creativity on the part of we teachers only. Even the parents, even the mothers, so creative and they've become almost teachers to us now. Because the way they have been helping children which are being conducted by the schools. So parents at home also have been, uh, have really become virtual teachers. So yes, that yes. also we need to give them a credit for that, for their support which we got from them. So see, teachers and parents have learned to appreciate each other. Teachers have been humanized. Yes. And uh, you know, parents realize that a teacher is important. Hai. Otherwise, they were adversarial. That adverse, you know, now they know that we can't manage without becoming partners. I always used to tell them, all our parents, I, at every meeting, you know, I said, look, parents, this is a partnership. The goal is the same. Your children are yours at home, ours in school, but together we are raising them. So now they are yours at home and ours in your home also. And still together we are raising them. And so that partnership has become much stronger much during stronger. this time. And they we want that to continue. The handholding has gone very strong, ma'am. Uh, thank you so much, ma'am. I'm sure all the participants must have enjoyed. It has been a wonderful session. Due to time constraint, we cannot go ahead. But I wish uh, we could have uh, more time to continue with this. It was a beautiful discussion. Thank you, Rishi, ma'am, and thank you, Preeti, ma'am. And uh, thank you all thank the people. And thank you, Preeti. And thank you, uh, future school leaders, for inviting me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Everyone, please stay safe and healthy. And God bless us all.
and stay connected. Yes. Stay connected. That's very yes, important. Sir. Yes. Sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, everyone.